Adam Schefter reported that the Buffalo Bills are expected to lose Jordan Poyer and Tremaine Edmonds in free agency. My thoughts on that and several herd mentality items are all coming your way today on Locked on Bills. You are locked on Bills. Your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino, author of Go Bills and Buffalo's Run, also the host of the Draft Dudes podcast, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Thursday to you, and thank you for making Locked On Bills your first listen every day. And as a reminder to you, we are free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of the NFL. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn today to get started. Well, folks, we got some big news on Wednesday when Adam Schefter reported on NFL Live that the Bills are expected to lose Jordan Poyer and Tremaine Edmonds in free agency. And so that's obviously the lead topic today, which we will talk about here in this first segment. And then in segments two and three, we're going to get into some herd mentality items, uh, some good stuff about uh, the combine, some draft ideas, and some good follow-ups on my mock offseason that I delivered yesterday on the podcast. But we do need to start with this bomb, right? Adam Schefter, Bill's expected to lose Tremaine Edmonds and Jordan Poyer. Now, that doesn't mean that they will for sure, but it's certainly a nugget of information that gives us some doubt about either of them returning to the Buffalo Bills. Now, we've been preparing for this with Jordan Poyer. I think most people have long accepted that Jordan Poyer was going to leave in free agency. The surprise here is Tremaine. And you listen to Brandon Bean talk about draft, develop, resign. That's Tremaine Edmonds, right? You drafted him in the first round. You traded up to get him. You developed him into a really nice player that obviously played his best football this past season. He's 25 years old, has five years of experience with your team. You feel like he would fall into the draft, develop, and resign. But maybe this is just the reality of the valuation being different as the Bills see it compared to the way that Tremaine Edmonds and his camp sees it, right? Surely the Bills would love to bring back Tremaine Edmonds, but if they're far apart on what an extension looks like, this is the reality of the situation. Now, as I've stated a number of times, not extending Tremaine Edmonds opens up a world of possibilities. Not giving 18 to $20 million per season to Tremaine allows you to spend that money elsewhere. Now, I do think it's fair to be concerned that maybe part of this is some pushback regarding all the necessary moves that Brandon Bean would have to make to clear some cap space whether that's Bean's long-term planning or maybe there's some pushback from Terry Pagula as it relates to cash flow. That's just me speculating, right? I think it's fair to let your mind wander in that direction. 
Certainly we don't know anything for sure, but it's worth mentioning. And I know that there's a lot of fans out there that are okay with concessions on defense, especially if it means more firepower on offense. I understand all those lines of thinking. I really do. But is it fair to be a little bit concerned about the defense right now? I mean, three years in a row, arguably four, the defense gets big boyed in the playoffs in an elimination game on defense. We've certainly spent a lot of time talking about that here on the podcast. Leslie Frazier taking a year off, right? You're set to potentially lose Poyer and Edmonds. And then you look a little bit deeper into it and you realize that three of your four best players on defense are aging and coming off of injuries. Trey White still trying to prove himself as healthy and fully back after an ACL tear. Micah Hyde and Trey White's entering his age 28 season. Micah Hyde, he's 32. He's coming off of an neck fusion. Missed all but two games last year. Von Miller, he's 33 and coming off of an ACL tear suffered on Thanksgiving. Matt Milano would be the other player in this three of four that I mentioned. He's healthy. But three of your top four guys, old or aging at least, and coming off significant injuries while you lost your defensive coordinator, you're set to lose Poyer and Edmonds. I think it's fair to have some concerns here. But here's what I will say. And this is a reminder that I tell myself all the time, especially as it relates to the offseason. Let's let it play out. My message to you and all of Bill's Mafia is to let it play out. There are a lot of roster moves coming. And just because they do one thing doesn't mean they will or will not do another thing. I remember last year, everyone's freaking out over the need to sign an edge rusher and they're signing with other teams. And then Chandler Jones signs with the Raiders and you just feel like the bills aren't going to find that impact pass rusher. The next thing you know, Brandon Bean signs Von Miller. Remember the Stefan Diggs year where you want the bills to go and get a meaningful receiver and they don't really do much on that first day. And then all of a sudden, it's like 9, 10 o'clock at night, and the Bills trade for Stefan Diggs. And it's it's even it's even necessary to let it play out longer than that. Brandon Bean doesn't have to have the roster fully ready to compete until September. So let's take it and talk about it in stride, but let's let it play out and avoid all the freakouts that could happen over the coming weeks as the Bills lose a player or lose out on targets and you're concerned about what they're going to do at a particular spot. There's a lot of time for this to play out and for Brandon Bean to put the puzzle pieces together necessary to go on another run for a championship. But I say that while I also simultaneously acknowledge some of my concerns for the state of this defense as it's moving forward, but also being aware that not giving 18 to $20 million to Tremaine does allow you to have some spending elsewhere. Now it's just about putting those pieces together and maximizing your opportunity 
to reallocate that money. Or at least for us, as we process this now, surely Brandon Bean's thought about this a lot over the last several months and has prepared for a multitude of different possibilities and pivot points and all that type of stuff as he's built his own off-season blueprint. There's just a lot to, to see play out here. But also the last thing I'll say as part of this conversation is just because Adam Schefter said the Bills are expecting to lose Jordan Poyer and Tremaine Emmons doesn't guarantee that that's going to happen. Maybe it will. Maybe it will happen. But it hadn't happened yet. And I remember the year Matt Milano hit free agency, and there was this crop of free agents of, I think it was Matt Milano, Daryl Williams, and John Feliciano. And I remember a lot of us thinking, I don't know that, I don't think he can bring them all back. I don't think he can do it. And then he brings back all of them, right? Including Milano literally at the 11th hour. So let's see what happens. But obviously, a big report from Adam Schefter that gives you some concern about, really, I mean, it gives you concern about, um, the, the possibility of this defense having to exist without Tremaine Edmonds. And like I said, I know that some of you, some of you guys might be pretty excited about that, but obviously there's some big time transition that's going to be happening here on the defensive side of the football from both a personnel and from a coaching perspective. Well, we got a bunch of herd mentality items to get to here in just a moment, but first I do need to tell you about FanDuel. The midway point of the NBA season is here, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back. If your first bet doesn't win, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. And you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drained. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So don't miss your chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right, let's get into some herd mentality items here. The first one comes from Eric. And Eric says, hoping for herd mentality this week, you can talk more about Brandon Bean's comments regarding playmakers instead of solely wide receivers. After a majority of the top wide receivers disappointed in their physical testing at the Combine, do you think Brandon Bean was letting on to their plan of not thinking this year's group is overly impressive and going a different direction? Curious what your overall view of this wide receiver class is, too, relative to prior years. It seems like a down one. It's a good question here. I will address the second part of that question first in terms of this being a down year for wide receivers. I think this is a down year for surefire first round wide receivers. You know, in, in the past few years, we've had, you know, some real no brainers, even last year with Chris Olave, Drake London, Garrett Wilson, right? You, those guys were first rounders all the way through. This year, I'm not fully convinced. There's more than one surefire first-round wide receiver. Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio State feels like the only wide receiver that today I can tell you is a first-round lock. 
Maybe Quentin Johnson from TCU is a first-rounder. Maybe Jordan Addison from USC is a first-rounder. Maybe, maybe Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee is a first-rounder. Maybe Zay Flowers, right? So you have a lot of fringe-type players. So what I think this draft class presents is a really good opportunity to play the waiting game and find some value at wide receiver. I think there's some good wide receivers that I'd love to get on day two. And and in due time, I'll really break down those guys. But some names just off the top uh, real quick here. Marvin Mims from Oklahoma, who I've hyped up quite a bit. Josh Downs from North Carolina is a player that I like quite a bit in that range. Puka Nakua from BYU. There's names, right? There's players that I like. Um, and I think the Bills will get a chance to to find an answer, to find a meaningful weapon for their offense at wide receiver. But I don't think that there's the premier guys. And I actually think that that actually helps the Bills um, because they're picking later in the first round. And I think it's going to put teams in a position where they don't have to panic, right? There's not a guy that they have to get. I mean, maybe it's Jackson Smith and Jigba, but I, I don't think that there's going to be this rat race to jockey for position to get one, two, three different receivers in the first round. I think teams are going to be willing to wait, and that's going to push talent down the board at receiver. And, and and you can get them in a more appropriate range relative to their to their value to, to their valuation and where they should be drafted. So yeah, I do think it's a down year for wide receivers. Now, as for Brandon Bean's comments about playmakers, right? I, I talked about this. He was asked about wide receivers, and he pivoted to we need playmakers. We need uh, guys that can uh, help with matchups. He talked about how you can put a tight end, an extra tight on end on the field, or a running back, or different skill sets on the field to force personnel groupings on defense and, and take advantage of that. I think that's good sound process. Um, but it, you know, as you listen to that, as you hear uh, Brandon Bean talk about uh, the Jeremy Shockey, Greg Olson tandem in Carolina, and you're aware that Ken Dorsey and Mike Shula were key parts of that coaching staff. And you heard me talk about that last off season and it really didn't happen, but maybe they still want it to. I, I do think that there could be some creative ideas coming to this bill's offense about different personnel groupings and um, taking advantage of other types of weapons as opposed to just wide receivers. Um, and so I, and the good thing about this draft class is I think it's loaded with tight ends. Loaded. I think this is one of the best tight end classes I've ever seen. And there's some really intriguing running backs, really unique skill sets, some speed guys, some power guys, uh, but players that profile as complementary you know, ball carriers, guys that deserve 10 touches or so a game. So I think it's just leaning into what's available and understanding that you don't have to force a receiver. You don't have to force a receiver. You could go with other directions and become more dynamic with your personnel groupings and, and help force and dictate some of the personnel groupings and matchups that you can have at your disposal. So I think it's, I think it's good thought process by Brandon Bean, although I always go back to this. Josh Allen, throughout his career, likes to throw the ball to wide receivers. Occasionally get it to tight ends, occasionally get it to running backs, but in, his bread and butter has been wide receivers. And so for as tantalizing as some of those ideas can be with pony backfields, right, putting Naheem Hines and James Cook on the field at the same time or having two tight ends and moving some guys around, all of that sounds great. But Josh Allen... The guy I've watched for the last three years when he's played his best football, it's because he's throwing the ball to wide receivers. So I'm interested to see how that evolves relative to Josh Allen and, and his approach to the game. 
John says, who do you think was the biggest needle mover at the combine? Also, as an evaluator, how much stock do you really put in the numbers there? Or is that a case-by-case basis? It feels like GMs sometimes fall into the trap of combine numbers compared to what the tape tells you. It's a good question here, John. First of all, I think the biggest needle mover for me was Jack Campbell out of Iowa. And even before the combine, you've heard me kind of talk about him a few times, and especially as a draft option for the Bills if they lose Tremaine Edmonds. And part of my analysis with him was I think he's smart. I think he's instinctive, very good downhill. He's physical. I like his short zone coverage skills. I just don't know what the athletic profile in the range is here. Well, Jack, Jack Campbell goes out there, and he's one of the top five athletes of any position. I mean, this guy went from, okay, like I think he could be a day two pick to like maybe this is a high day two pick. Maybe he's worth looking at at the back of the first round. I mean, that's how much I think it moved the needle for a Jack Campbell. Now, there's other guys, right? I can get into the city sows of the world, right? A guard from Eastern Michigan who I think helped himself. Surely Anthony Richardson literally testing as one of the greatest athletes in the history of the combine at quarterback, not not necessarily just at quarterback. He is a quarterback, but among all players, that's certainly going to help him. But to me, it's it's Jack Campbell. I think that's the guy that did the most to help himself in a meaningful capacity. Now, as for the combine and uh, how useful it is, I, I think there's there's three things that I'd like to say here. First of all, thresholds matter. Thresholds matter. Don't count on guys being the exception. If the good players in the NFL at a certain position are certain size and athletic testing, they have that as like common denominators. If you realize what the commonality is among all the offensive tackles in the NFL and what their height, weight, arm length is and their athletic testing, and, and they all fit within a criteria, and then there's a player that you like, but they miss out on one of those areas, it's important to not live in a world where you are continuously counting on guys to be the exceptions. Just because Russell Wilson and Drew Brees had good careers as short quarterbacks doesn't mean that every short quarterback is going to have a good career. Those are outliers for a reason. If 90% of the time something proves to be true, there's still that 10% out there. That does happen, but I'm not going to live in a world where I'm counting on that very often. So thresholds matter. I think this is a lesson that we've applied to Ed Oliver, who I think we all agree is a good starting NFL three technique, but is he as good as Christian Wilkins or or Quinnen Williams or Jeffrey Simmons or Dexter Lawrence? No. What's the difference? Ed Oliver, sub 32 inch arms, and he's a 280 pound defensive tackle, right? If there's not a whole lot of sub 32 inch arms, 280 pound defensive tackles out there making a big time impact. Well, you need to not really lean into those exceptions with much frequency. To me, the combine is a a check with me, right? I've watched the tape on these players for a number of seasons, right? I want us to make sure that the, the athleticism, the play speed that I see on tape matches the timing. And if it doesn't, then it's time to ask questions and maybe go back to the tape and and make an adjustment. It's okay to change. The goal is to keep gaining, in scouting football players, the goal is to keep gaining as much new information as possible, layering it together and, and having an evaluation. And you want to get it right at the end of April. It doesn't matter if you're right in February or March. You want to get it right by the end of April. And truth is, you don't always interpret the tape correctly. 
and there's no reason to cling to your priors. If you sat there and you thought this guy was a bad athlete or a good athlete, and you really believe that, and you graded them accordingly, and then they don't show you that at the combine, it's okay. You don't have to cling to your priors. You have a new piece of information that should impact your evaluation. So all of that's what I think is important as it relates to the combine. Mark says, I'm starting to fall in love with the idea of Jackson Smith and Jigba, the Ohio State wide receiver, to the Bills. He even talked about it in his media availability at the Combine. How far up do you think we need to trade to get him, and would you be comfortable with giving up what we'd have to do in order to make that trade? Well, if Jackson Smith and Jigba is the only like surefire first-round wide receiver, and there's plenty of need out there at wide receiver, especially given a very weak class of free agents. I think you probably have to move up pretty considerably. Um, you know, what I start to worry about is like a trade back team. Let's say the Bears move from one to nine with the Carolina Panthers. You don't think Jackson Smith and Jigba's in play for the Bears at nine? And I think you can do that with a lot of different teams. There's plenty of, of spots along the way where a team is going to need a wide receiver. So I I just I don't think you can sit there and, and hope that at pick 27 you can sit there and draft Jackson Smith and Jigba. If you feel like that's the guy that you need for your offense, you got to have him. Well, then you're going to have to make a move up the board. Now, I'm not going to sit here sit here and and think the Bills should like give up multiple first round picks or anything like that to go way way up. But if it starts to get around pick 20 and you're at 27, I think that's when you start to really start asking yourself that question, can we do this? And I am protecting future first-round picks at all costs. Uh, Mark had a second question that I really like here. He said, in watching combine coverage, all the times and measurements make sense and are easier to compare across players. As someone who does this for a living, can you explain what scouts are looking for in the on-field work? To me, it is tough to get a gauge on, and I'm curious how the pros watch the on-field work. Well, I, I mean, every every drill you're looking for something different but i think at its core you're looking for movement skills change of direction ability hip fluidity ankle flexion all that type of stuff what how how do they move how quickly do they do it how seamless is it do they have extra steps can they you know if they're an offensive lineman and they're having to shuffle can they keep their hips down do they get clicky with their heels there's all these different clues that you're looking for but what i think it really all boils down to is what type of movement skills do they showcase and as you watch player after player after player do these drills you'll notice that some guys are more rigid some guys are more smooth and you're looking for those guys that are smooth right you want those fluid smooth athletes not the tight rigid ones and so uh, each drill is kind of designed in some way to expose that and show change of direction and um, you know flipping hips and turning and running all that type of stuff so you're you're looking for movement skills and, and what's fun about the combine is you get to see it in, in sequence, player after player, do the same thing. You can really get a feel for uh, who the most natural and fluid movers are amongst the group. Well, we've got a bunch of questions coming up still here uh, in the next segment talking about my mock offseason. So that's coming up here in just a moment. Give me a second. I need a quick break. The next one today comes from Sean. Sean says, while forcing my daughter, who is six years old, to listen to Lockdown Bills on our drive back from school, she wanted to ask about your daughter and what you like to do with her. 
Well, first of all, excuse me. First of all, hello to Kinsley, Sean's daughter, who asked this question. And thank you for listening to the podcast, even if dad makes you do it. And uh, I really am thankful that you wanted to ask me a question. So your question was, what do I like to do with my daughter? Well, first of all, for those of you who don't know, I have a three-year-old daughter named Rebecca Jean. And being her dad is easily my favorite thing ever, along with being married to my wife. Um, Some of my favorite things that Rebecca Jean and I like to do together are uh, playing Barbies and LOL dolls in her dollhouse. She got a big dollhouse for Christmas. It's like four feet tall, wide, million different rooms. Uh, so we spend a lot of time playing in that. She she loves that. So we do that. Uh, she loves to dance, and she loves for me to dance with her. So we do quite a bit of that. Uh, lately, she's into this floor is lava and freeze dance type stuff. Uh, but she also likes the very pretty ballet dances. And sometimes, sometimes I don't dance pretty enough, and she yells at me. But I certainly try, and we have a lot of fun dancing. Uh, she likes to ride her scooter. She just got one of those. Um, so that's been really fun to play with her and let her ride the, sc- the scooter up and down the uh, the sidewalk. Uh, she likes to play hide and seek, so we do that quite a bit. Loves to play outside. Uh, she has a trampoline, and so she likes to jump on that and really loves to go to the park and go on the swings in the playground, so we do that quite a bit. Uh, she likes to read books together, um, so we do that. We have a subscription to Highlights, and um, you know we look forward to those coming in and, of course, lots of other books all the time. Uh, she likes to swim and she takes swim lessons. So it's not warm enough to swim right now, but pretty soon it will be here in Charlotte and we will get out in the pool. She likes to go get ice cream. Big fan of that. Um, whether it's, you know, from the freezer or we go get it. So that's a big part of something that we do. And, uh, one thing that she recently asked me actually literally yesterday morning, um, she asked me if I would take her on a date to go roller skating. So we're going to we're going to do that really soon and I'm looking forward to it. Not sure what to expect. I don't know how she's going to do on the roller skates, but um we'll uh we'll have some fun and hopefully she doesn't fall and cry, but <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure she will and I'll I'll be there to help her along the way, but I'm I'm looking forward to that coming up real soon. Uh next so Kinsley, again, thank you for asking the question, Sean. Thanks for uh thanks for making her listen to the podcast and sending that in. Alex says, hey, Joe, just finished today's episode about your mock offseason. I was just wondering if anything you came up with last year came to fruition. Alex, I like this question. Um, So last year I did the same thing, mock offseason. Again, it's somewhat intended to be predictive, but a lot of it's like what I would do. In terms of things that I got correct, um, I did get Daquan Jones. I had the Bills signing Daquan Jones, and that happened. Um, That's the only like specific, hey, they did this thing. I think where you can see conceptually with my mock off season last year, where there's some parallels to what Brandon Bean actually did is I had the bills really going after a receiving back with speed. So I had them signing Jarek McKinnon and I had them drafting Ty Chandler. Well, obviously they traded for Naheem Hines and drafted James Cook, but I think I I saw or Bean and I kind of saw that very similarly. Um, I had them signing Chandler Jones. So I was, I was, believing that they would make a big splash for a pass rusher. Didn't think it was going to be Von Miller had Chandler Jones down, but, but I certainly saw that uh, very similarly, but I'll give you my, my, um, my roster uh, real quick here. 
that I that I had last year after the mock off season. So my quarterbacks were Josh Allen, Ryan Fitzpatrick signed as a backup. At running back, I have De- Devin Singletary, Jarek McKinnon, Brandon Bolden, a veteran from the Patriots, physical downhill back, Zach Moss, and Ty Chandler. At wide receiver, Stefan Diggs. I had the Bills signing Christian Kirk. That might have been a good idea, huh? Uh, Gabriel Davis. I had them drafting Calvin Austin, Marcus Stevenson, and Jake Kumaro were the wide receivers. At tight end, Dawson Knox, Will Disley, uh, veteran tight end uh, that the Bills did not sign, and then Reggie Gilliam. At offensive line, Deion Dawkins, Ryan Bates, Mitch Morse, Cody Ford, Spencer Brown, Tommy Doyle. Then I had the Bills drafting Tyler Smith. That would have been a good idea, right? Have a nice young offensive lineman. Uh, jo- Joseph Noteboom and Austin Blythe as free agent signings. Obviously, that didn't happen. At defensive end, it was Chandler Jones, Greg Russo, Epinesa, Basham, Shaq Lawson. So I guess I had that. I had them bringing back Shaq Lawson, so that was correct. Uh, defensive tackle, Ed Oliver, Daquan Jones, Taven Bryan, uh, Travis Jones, uh, rookie, was a draft pick, and Starlo Talele. At linebacker, Edmonds Milano, Andre Smith, Tyrell Dotson, Joe Giles Harris. At corner, uh, Trey White, Taron Johnson, signing Sidney Jones, then Dane Jackson, Saran Neal, Cam Lewis, and drafting Cam Taylor Britt. That seems pretty good, right? Uh, and then safety, Poyer, Hyde, Hamlin, Jaquan Johnson. Specialists were Reed Ferguson, Tyler Bass, and I had them signing J.K. Scott at punter. So there you go. That was uh, That's what I put together last year, and in some ways I really like it. <laughs> I, I think I did a fairly good job uh, with that. So um, even though Von Miller is a has proven to be a better signing than Chandler Jones, but obviously Chandler Jones didn't tear his ACL. So there is that uh, next one is from Chris. Chris has a fun question here as it relates to the mock off season. He says, let's assume your mock off season goes to plan and that every player on the roster is healthy for week one. Assuming this is true, who would you choose to make inactive for week one? So hopefully you listened to yesterday's podcast. So this answer will make sense to you. Um, but remember I had 54 players on it. Um, so I'll need to pick six players to be inactive. Uh, and I think first of all, I, I, there'll be, there'll be two offensive linemen inactive. I had 10 offensive linemen on the roster. So two would be inactive. So I think between Warren McClendon, Ike Bucker and Joe Tipman, two of them would be inactive. Then Boogie Basham, Thomas and Cause I had six edge rushers. So I think you only need to dress four. I think those two would be inactive. And then one of the defensive tackles, Keanu Benton, Kalen Saunders and, and Tim Settle. So one of them. And then Jeremy Banks would be the sixth one as the as that last linebacker. I think that would be the most sensible, uh, inactive strategy. Assuming that Bean does everything I I put together and everyone was healthy for Week One. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us here today on the podcast. Tomorrow we'll probably do another episode of Herd Mentality uh, with this Poyer Edmonds news from Schefter. I, I wanted to commit some time to that, and um, that took away from me including more. Uh, herd mentality questions that were submitted. So I got plenty in the backlog there that I might get to tomorrow on the podcast, unless there's some breaking news. Of course, we'll get to that as well. But you know how, the, how this goes. We're talking Buffalo Bills football. So come on back. Make sure you're subscribed. We'd love it if you took a second to rate, review, and share the podcast. Have a great rest of your day. Go Bills. And I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.